I, I think if you're putting up that facade, like it, it's probably holding you back more than anything because it, it feels good to just be vulnerable. And, and uh, you know, you and I were talking before and and now I, I tell people when I have weakness or when I need help, whereas so many years I did that John Wayne thing, which is still that old concept of masculinity. Like we hold it in, we do this John Wayne thing, this lone wolf thing and don't ask for help. And I'm like, no, anytime I'm struggling, I'll let people know. Anytime I need help, I'll let people know. If you're a person who's heard the word no from a boss, an ex, a team that cut you, a job market that didn't want you, an accident or diagnosis that left you debilitated and depressed, or felt paralyzed by any setback that you just weren't willing to accept, this is the show for you. 10,000 No's is a roadmap built by guests who have blazed trails, silenced critics, and overcome the odds by facing down their fears and transforming their failures into fuel. I don't care if you're young or old, healthy or sick, there is always an opportunity for growth. This is Matthew Del Negro, and you're listening to 10,000 No's. Happy January. I hope the new year is going well for you so far. If you haven't listened to my New Year's Day episode with Charlie Rocket, you really need to. People are loving it, and there's a reason this guy is amazing and unique and has an incredible message about transformation, not unlike today's guest, my good friend, Jay Ferrugia. They're very different people in many ways, but both have done complete overhauls on their lives, which is why I came out of my intended holiday hiatus to share their messages with you at the top of the year when so many of you are thinking about reinvention. Actually, Jay is indirectly responsible for me connecting with Charlie because as he has so generously introduced me to so many amazing people, that's why we call him the super connector. He really changes lives. It was through Jay's circle that Charlie sought out 10,000 no's. Now, Jay Ferrugia has been a friend of mine for several years now. Any of you who follow me on social media already know that he helped me immensely with my physical prep for the upcoming Netflix comedy series, Huge in France, which I just found out will be dropping on my wife's birthday, April 12th. I am extremely excited. Saw footage recently and really made me laugh. Can't wait for you guys to see that. And he's helped so many people over the past two decades through his gym back in Jersey when he had it. I believe his brother still has that gym. Uh, Jay's articles in all of the top fitness magazines, his books, his blog, his weekend retreats, and many more venues where he helps people transform. But it started with transforming himself. Now, the first part of our conversation, we get into some specifics about nutrition and training techniques, and then we delve into Jay's origin story and his transformation story, really, and many of the beliefs and practices that allowed him to do the things that he does today. Jay Ferrugia. Everybody listening should know how we met because... Um, we lived in Santa Monica on the beach in the same place, uh, same apartment complex. And for years, I would see you, but we didn't have any interaction at all. And yeah. I just thought like, and I've told you this story. I just thought like, who's the, you know, the jacked bald guy with the tats. And like, he seems super serious. And like, I don't think we have anything in common. And one random Saturday morning, in the gym, I don't know how it even came about, but we started talking and then like, I don't even remember what books yeah, we referred yeah, to, but we day. started talking yeah. about books. Some Something right. came up right? and we had like a 40 minute conversation about books that, that you had read and I had read. And, and I was, I remember walking away from that going like, huh, I totally was judging that guy mm. by the, the exterior of what I thought he was and had no idea. And we connected and I was like, this guy is, is a real thinker, a real searcher. And then I've come to realize after knowing you and now getting introduced to all these people that, that you know, that have really had a huge effect on my life that I didn't even know the, you know, the half of it. I mean, you really have reinvented yourself in a way like nobody else that I know. And so why don't you give everybody a little bit of your trajectory from New Jersey out to, to Santa Monica and all that. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. It's, it's so interesting though, how you, we all prejudge people, right? It's crazy. Yeah. 
But I, so I started training people, you know, I grew up, uh, we're pretty close to the same age. So I grew up in the eighties watching, uh, Stallone and Schwarzenegger on the big screen. And I've been obsessed with wrestling since 1982. So I watched Hulk Hogan and Mr. Wonderful and, and those guys on Saturday mornings wanted to be jacked and be like that larger than life kind of a uh, superhero figure. But I was a little chubby kid and then I was skinny fat and everything weak and not the greatest athlete. So I got into training and uh, it became an obsession over the years. And How then, old were you when you started? Uh, I, I was 12, actually. 12, okay. Yeah. So uh, I've been lifting for 32 years. Wow. So I um, <clears throat> I, I got into it. My, my cousin, Christine, this was actually like a dream come true. She started dating a pro wrestler. He wasn't with WWF at the time, uh, some smaller federation. And he got me into it. And then all through high school, through college. In college, I started studying it and reading all about it as much as I could. I interned in the weight room. And um, uh, trying to think what happened next. Oh, and then I got sick in college. I think I think I told you this before. I got uh, sophomore year. I got tuberculosis, and yeah, it was crazy. Like I, is, yeah. I, insane. I, I didn't know anyone got that after Doc Holiday. And, I was gonna uh, say it sounds like we're in like the 1800s. Right? <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> so I, I almost died if I didn't go to the doctor that day. Uh, they had to rush me to the hospital. I got to the doctor. No, they, they they sent me to a heart and lung specialist, then rushed, rushed me to the hospital, and they drank, uh, drained a pint of fluid out of my lungs that looked like a bottle of scotch. And he said, if you waited till tomorrow, you would have drowned. Your lungs would have filled up. So I was like, holy crap. So I had to spend a, a semester at home on bed rest. And during that time, I got my first certification and everything. And all I did for months on end was just read. And back then, you know, there's no internet. So you could only order books from the back of Iron Man magazine. So I read every book I could on training and got certified and started going to these uh, seminars and workshops and doing internships. And I started training people later that summer. And somehow within just a few months, I was on pace to make 100 grand my first year. And I had never read a business book. I didn't know anything. But I was getting people good results. And I was getting a lot of referrals and so, so then I transferred back home to Seton Hall. And while I was, uh, I was 20, making six figures, going to school and running the business. And I would continually uh, invest back in the business. So every time I made an extra dime, I would save it up enough that I could rent a small 1,000-square-foot space in a basement. So it was literally an underground gym. And uh, then I just put every dime back into buying more and more equipment. First, I had just minimalist one rack and dumbbells. And then eventually, we had this amazing gym which became known as one of the original, long before CrossFit and all these places now, one of the original underground warehouse, hardcore kind of style gyms. And uh, I started putting it out there on the internet in 2001, started writing, and, and no one was really doing that at the time. So I, I got a huge following online. Uh, gym was just blowing up. I would have 50, an average of like 50 athletes coming in a day, training them. And uh, in 2003, I started selling stuff online. Now everybody has like, you know, a program, an ebook, and everything, but there was maybe five people doing it. Craig was one of them at the time. Craig Ballantyne, we're talking about you guys. I've, I've interviewed Craig. He's uh, Jay introduced me to him and I've talked about him a lot. So just so you know, Craig Ballantyne, I'll put a link to him as well. Yeah. So it was me, Craig, and maybe like three other people were self publishing our own stuff at the time. And uh, it was it was doing OK. It was making like a few hundred bucks a month, you know, it was an extra thing on the side. And then uh, Men's Fitness did a one page feature on me with a picture and a whole thing and a link to my website. And for the next six weeks after that, now that wouldn't happen today. But for the next six weeks, I was making uh, 300 bucks a day. And I was like, wow, that's 100 grand a year online. In addition to what I'm doing here. So I was like, let me really focus on the online stuff, too. So I balanced the gym and the online stuff up until we moved from Jersey to Cali eight years ago. And then it's, it's just mainly been online and my events and whatnot. Um, but and throughout throughout that whole time, I was on the gym floor 12 hours a day for at least 12 years straight and uh, writing for almost every magazine. I was in men's fitness, men's health, muscle and fitness, flex, you name it. And then I eventually got my own column in muscle and fitness, became the chief training advisor. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the progression to, yeah. 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 So, so what's funny though, is, is my impression of Jay, that, that judgmental impression, actually he says was kind of the truth back then. Like you, you told me at one point you were like, oh yeah, I was, cause so, so yeah. I, I should, I should actually, uh, frame this for you guys. Um, anybody who follows me on Instagram, uh, or has, you know, listened to this for a while knows I, I did a 
um, a, a show I shot this summer that's going to come out in the spring of 2019 um, called Huge in France. And for this thing, I had to, they didn't make me, but I just felt like the way the character was, he needed to look a certain way. And I only had three weeks to get there. So what did I do? I texted Jay. I said, I, I have three weeks. I kind of want to get bigger. But he's like, three weeks? You can't get bigger. You just got to get ripped. That's what's going to do sell on, and you'll on look TV. Bigger. Yeah. And you'll look bigger. So long story short, he he got me this this program of, of eating and, and what exactly the workout was. So specific, so dialed in. It, it was crazy. And it actually brought me real results. And I've kind of continued with it in a less crazy way uh, since then. And I feel like I've, I've definitely morphed my body from, from that. Um, but prior to that, he was nice enough to to bring me along with him to the, this uh, this place called Iron Gym in Santa Monica, and I trained with him. And here's here's what's crazy. I expected again. I'm like, oh, dude, you're going to be a meathead in there, and you're going to, you know, it's going to be like crazy. And I don't know if I can keep up with you. It was the exact opposite. He, you're like a a scientist. I, I kept telling you that. Like every time I'd start to strain, you're like, okay, that's it, take it down. And I'm like, what? Don't you want me to go for another rep? Nope. It was all about form. It was yeah. all about thinking about how you're holding, you're rotating your shoulder out, you're gripping it this way. So specific. But then you admitted back then, you're like, oh, I was an idiot. Like yeah. you said, oh, what, yeah. what, what was that? Like you said, you'd have like the music cranking and like- Yeah, for, for so many Red years. Red Bulls you know, and- Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah, you're all cranked up on, on caffeine and, and we would literally do uh, hit smelling salts before big sets when I'm in my 20s, early 30s. And but we had this atmosphere in the gym where we would just be cranking Metallica and Ice Cube and everything and everybody's competing. There's like 12, 15 guys training together at once. And you always wanted to beat the guy. Like if you did 315, I'd have to put on 320 or if you did 10 reps, I'd have to do 11. And so we're hitting smelling salts, people are headbutting the walls and everything. And so your form was terrible. By, by the end, you should have stopped at 10. You do 14 with crappy form. And you don't feel it at 28, but then it catches up to you at 40. You know, you're like, oh, yeah. I wish I didn't do that. So I would always tell people now, man, if I could go back and, and you know, it's hard to get it through people to people in their 20s, but form and technique is really important. That's the first thing before you worry about intensity, volume, frequency, the perfect program, you have to master technique. And even before that, quite honestly, there's things more important than that, like that people don't talk about. You got to stress management is first and foremost. So what are your stress levels? Because training is a stress. So if you're not, if you're sleeping six hours, you're super stressed out, you're anxious, you're drinking coffee all day, uh, your stress hormones are going to be up. Training adds to that. So training actually makes you worse. It's not making you better. So you have to take that into consideration. Then you got to consider gut health. What's Because your, your gut health controls your immune system. It controls your brain. It controls your ability to recover. It controls if your joints are inflamed from training. So we need to address those two things before we even get in the gym. We need to address sleep. Because if you're not sleeping, the workout's pointless again because sleep controls everything. Some people, when they say I can't lose fat, sleep more. You may, you may actually need to sleep more because if you don't sleep enough, your cortisol goes up and cortisol is a hormone that adds fat to your abdominal region. So if you sleep more, you'll burn more calories. Your insulin sensitivity will be better. Uh, so we need to consider those three things first and foremost. Then we get into the gym and you have to master technique. I mean, like Mr. Miyagi level of mastery, like practice a few things. And where people get it twisted is like now on Instagram, it's here's 78 pushup variations. Here's 2,700 ways to squat. It's like, no, 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 do two of those and master those and really lock in technique because technique is, I mean, you know, we, we've trained together and like you really have to dial that in and that that's how you're safe and that's how you get uh, much better results from training. So I've got to interject with something here because you're talking about sleep and everything and a funny thing happened. And, and just, I want to, you, you know, I think we could all laugh at ourselves. If you're listening to this, I, hopefully you could laugh at yourselves. You hear someone like Jay say, yeah, sleep is important. And then you walk away and you're, you know, you're going and telling everybody, well, I got to sleep, but you don't do any of the training. You just do the sleep. I, when you had me on that program, a bunch of friends were, were like, wow, you really, man, you got like, you're cut, what are you doing? And so I gave them, I was like, well, it's grilled chicken and there's steamed spinach and there's white rice, it's jasmine rice. He was very specific. So I tell a couple of guys that are that are dads at the, at the school and I get a text like three weeks later from a guy and he goes, Don't Negro, what's going on? He's like, I'm eating all the, the, the jasmine, the white rice. I'm not really seeing any results. And I'm like, 
Well, that was one thing that I told you to do. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, that's the fun part of it. Right, I'm, like, right. I'm like, the white rice is like my ice cream right yeah, now. Yeah, you got to the white rice. Dude, I'm like, have you been to the gym? You yeah. know, like, do you <laughs> yeah. eat the grilled chicken? So I, I think it's funny. Like, what, you know, one of my things that I've spoken to you about this was in the fitness world, you get so many different opinions. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess there are, and we could kind of talk about that a little bit because there are, a lot of them are valid and they're coming from people that that are all... Uh, you know, like another version of you, but maybe they have a different school of thought. And yeah. I, I had read your book, uh, The Renegade Diet, which yeah. you guys should list, uh, read it. Um, I'll put a link to that as well if you get a chance. It, it was fascinating about intermittent fasting and your thoughts on that. But like, what what do you what do you suggest? To somebody who's listening right now, I feel like everybody in this day and age is like, "How could I look better? How could I mm. feel better?" But it's it's a little daunting, to be honest. Sure. It's kind of like politics. You know, yeah, it's yeah. like you go and you're like, well, I don't know who, should I listen to Jay or should yeah. I listen to, you know, somebody else? Like, yeah. how do you suggest people um, seek out the, the the information that's that's right for them? Yeah. So so uh, let me address uh, nutrition, then I'll address training. So nutrition, everyone's confused because keto is the hot thing nowadays, low carb, paleo, but then you have vegans, vegetarians. So it's like, man, what do I do? I totally get it. So what you want to do is not look for the differences, look for the common ground between everybody. And I think it's a really smart place to start from everybody. Go back, evolutionary, paleo. There's some things that are wrong with paleo, but but they have it right where let's look back to how we evolved to eat. Let's eat mainly foods that are not processed. There's nothing, like nobody disagrees with that. We want to eat whole foods. We want to eat vegetables. We want to eat some, some low sugar fruit like berries and some wild pastured grass-fed meats things like that. Of course if you're vegan you're not going to eat those things, but mainly the most successful diets people are saying those things. That's how we evolved to eat. You know that eating Oreos and cookies is is not a good idea. Everyone knows that. Um so then and 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 most people want to get lean more so than they, than they want to gain weight. So you need to create a, a slight caloric deficit. And there's tons of fancy formulas, but I always like to keep things simple. So you can multiply your body weight times 12. That's a good place to start for for losing weight. Uh, About 0.8 to 1 gram per pound of protein per day. About uh, 20 to 30 percent of your calories should come from fat. And then the rest is is healthy carbs. And if you want to lose weight, it's ideal to have most of those carbs coming from vegetables, fruits, some sweet potatoes, but lower on the starch. You were already pretty lean, so some starch helps. Like when we add the white rice timed correctly after training, after some low-carb days, that works. Um, But again, you want to optimize your gut health first and foremost. So anybody could benefit from a 30-day paleo autoimmune protocol or a gut healing protocol, which is basically you just eat uh, any kind of animal product except dairy. No dairy. So any kind of animals, meat, fish, eggs, uh, vegetables, berries, and yams and that's about it so you eliminate not, uh, any kind of potential allergen gluten any kind of grain actually uh, uh soy dairy uh nightshades do that for 30 days you will lose a ton of body fat and you'll feel way better and then you slowly reintroduce foods and see what works for you some people can eat grains all the time and feel great some people eat them once they have a splitting headache their skin breaks out uh they have issues you know all kinds of issues so uh, that's a smart place to start. You know, look at look at uh, what we evolved to do, and then when it comes to training, there's a million different schools of thought, like you said. So we could look at what the science shows. The science shows that uh, most people want to train to look good, right? So science shows that training a body part. You know, back in the '80s, everybody trained a body part once a week: your chest day, back day, shoulder day, leg day. Science shows that you need to train a body part or a muscle group at least twice a week. Twice is significantly better than once. Some studies show that three times is better than two. That's debatable. The most recent study showed that training a body part five times a week is better than two. But let's use logic here, right? So people who build muscle without trying to build muscle. Uh, Mechanics and baseball players have big forearms. Wrestlers have big necks. Dancers and soccer players have big calves, downhill skiers, and, and speed skaters have big quads. They're not training for that. They develop that. Uh, even heavy people have big calves. How does that happen? Masons are jacked, right? They do manual labor all day. High frequencies, or they're doing the same thing over and over again. That makes sense. So you'd want to train a muscle group more frequently than once a week, twice a week, whatever. So that makes sense. And then it's funny now because science has proven now what Steve Reeves did. 
way back in the day. I don't or know what, if I know Steve Reeves. Remember who's the original Hercules oh, on yeah, camera yeah. and everything? Okay. This is back in like the 50s. The, science now has proven that what Steve Reeves did is probably the best way to train. Like train your muscle group three times a week, uh, 10 to 12 sets average across the week. So like, like science has shown that 10 to 12 sets per muscle group per week is a pretty good sweet spot for everybody. So you could either do those 12 sets on Monday. And if you do that, like 12 sets for chest on Monday, you're going to be super sore, right? Do 12 sets of bench and, and push-ups. You're going to be sore the next day. Maybe you can't play volleyball. Like I like people to always be ready to be able to live life and like hey, if, if a game of uh, – hoops breaks out or you have to get in a fight or a tragedy happens like you shouldn't be sore from your training your training should make you better so if i do 12 sets of chest on monday i'm gonna be super sore and fatigued the next day but if i do four sets of chest on monday four sets of chest on wednesday four sets of chest on friday i'll never get sore i'll never be really fatigued i could box i could play sports i could do whatever you know what i mean so higher frequency and less volume at that session seems to be a much better approach for that um which is which is really kind of what the program that you had me on because that, yeah. that's where I am right now. I do like uh, three days of upper, three days yep. of lower, and on the seventh day I either rest or I go surfing or do something like that. Yeah. And I feel I, I don't I don't like people have said, oh, what are you doing? And I'm like, it's not really that hard right now. It's, yeah. just, it's like it almost feels like maintenance. Yeah, and it's it's just kind of. It's, it's, I just feel good. Yeah, and, and that's what you want. You want to feel good. You, do, you don't want to be excessively sore. You don't want to create extreme fatigue. You don't want to beat up your joints. Now, beating up your joints comes into exercise selection and exercise mastery. So you need to be smart with your technique and choose exercises that are right for your body structure. You know, some people will write, oh, here's the number one best exercise for everybody. That's not true. What works for you might not be the best exercise for me right. just because, you know, you're, you're uh, I don't know, several inches taller than me. And so it, it depends. Yeah. But. Um, well, let, let me ask you. First of all, I'm going to tell everybody, while I would love to continue down this path with Jay, because he's, as you can tell, he's just an endless source of information. I'm actually going to send you. If you are interested in in the minutia of nutrition and uh, and training, you've got to listen to uh, his Renegade Radio podcast. It's 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 really good, and he's got people that you know way more knowledgeable than me about this stuff. I'm I'm kind of you know like a an outsider to it, so you should definitely go do that. I I also want to take this time with Jay to get into some other things. There's one last thing I do want to talk about okay. though on the nutrition thing. Yeah. Sea salt. Just give us your thoughts on sea salt, because everybody I've told, like at one point, like three days into it, I said, uh, no salt, right? It just is on text. Yeah. And you're like, bro, yeah, yeah, yeah. that would be a tremendous tragedy. It's one of the yeah. greatest you know, foods in the world or whatever. So yeah. tell us a little, because everybody's like, really? I thought that's, you know, heart attack and blah, blah, blah. And, but no, so give no, us your it's, thoughts it's, it's on sea salt huge, and then we'll move on. It's a huge misconception that salt is dangerous. Uh, high quality sea salt is one of the most essential nutrients. It's one of the most beneficial performance enhancing things you could take. Like if, if, you, if, you, if someone comes to me on a low sodium diet and they're an athlete, then all I got to do is start adding sea salt to their meals. Their endurance will be better. They'll feel better. You'll have better pumps in the gym. That's one thing when people go on a low carb diet, they're like, man, I can't get a pump in the gym. I feel flat. Just eat more sea salt. You'll get, you'll get a pump instantly. That's one of the ways to fix and it. And there's no uh, negative side effects. Zero. Like no. re- regarding the heart. Is no, that, like, no, like the no. way it used to be thought. No, I mean, if you have heart disease, then maybe consult with your doctor and, and see what the deal is. And, and the, the problem is, so many doctors literally study nutrition in in uh, uh, in medical school for like hours. Like it's it's so limited. So people still believe their family practitioner knows a ton about nutrition. Nowadays, a lot of them do. They're studying outside of what they got in medical school, but unfortunately, they don't. It's it's one of the best things you can do to to just balance your health and, and improve it, so many things across the board. Improve. Okay. And, I mean, and it, it helped you once you added, so you felt oh, better, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and also, it just helps, you know, people would say, oh, isn't that boring what you're eating? And honestly, yeah, I mean, it's a little bit like it was repetitive. I was basically having like grilled chicken breast and steamed spinach and then an avocado a day. And then I would also have, you know, white rice, jasmine rice. And I still don't know why it's jasmine and not basmati, <laughs> but that was an issue. And And I would have that after the workout and then at night. But the sea salt made everything fine. Like, I feel like if yeah. you put sea salt on anything, oh, it's totally. Good. Yeah. So, yeah. Some people are like, what spices do you use? I'm like, just sea salt. Sea salt. I don't yeah. know. I don't, yeah. I don't so, that, so I just wanted everybody to hear that because a ton of people have asked me that and, and they don't believe me. And I'm like, I don't know, but he said it. So I'm, <laughs> I'm glad to get that. Um, 
And like I said, we you know go go listen to his podcast. It's a it's a hugely popular. Low sodium podcast. is actually bad for your heart and, and circulation for a lot of other things, and it, it could cause you uh, some people who are walking around freezing all the time. And they have a low body temperature that could be from low sodium. Okay, so it does so many beneficial things. Okay, cool. So so let's get into um, a, a couple of other things, which is I want to talk about uh, this this kind of. I'll call it like the California reinvention that you had. You and your wife, Jen, moved out to Santa Monica, I think six years ago, maybe longer. Eight years ago. Eight years ago. Yeah. Um, you, what, you know, I you have this, this, uh, this uh, it, it was really like a, a, a rebirth in a way. And now I met you as the new you, but when you talk to people that knew you before, it's like, and or when I see pictures of you on Instagram of like, as when you were younger or whatever, it just you kind of made this big change and and it's going very well for you. So I'd like my listeners to hear kind of how you did that, what the benefits have been, because I think the whole point of this podcast is, you know, you're not stuck where you are. You have the ability to make a new choice and go for something else. If it's something you're dreaming of doing, you can go do it. If it's something you've been a path you've been down, but you're kind of being, you know, pummeled right now, you can pick yourself up and get back out there. So, so talk to us about that. Cause I think, you, you know, that's something that's unique to you. It's just something, or that's something that's like very big quality in you is this reinvention. So, yeah, I mean, I, I would urge everybody to reinvent themselves as much as possible. You know, Muhammad Ali said the man who views the world the same at 50 as he did at 20 wasted 30 years of their life. So, and people get that thing like, Oh, I don't want to, change you can, a leopard can't change his spots or i think you have to change you have to constantly evolve and i'm inspired every time i see a friend like to go back to craig again every time you see craig he's improved in some small way whether it's the way he talks to a waiter or the way he carries himself or whatever that's inspiring so i wasn't around people i didn't have this awareness until my last couple of years in jersey i just went through life as i was people were kind of negative like not not to talk anything about the northeast but there's a certain mentality people are a little aggressive people are a little angry we have a little chip on our shoulder sometimes you know and i started to be like man i'm not really digging this right now i want to start to evolve and change the way i think so i started reading certain books and met a few people that changed changed my perception of things but i just you know i heard henry rollins he had this quote about about relocating and moving and getting away from the town you grew up in because as much as you may try Man, you're there for 30 plus years. Environments trigger behaviors. People look at you the same way they did when you know you were 10. And it's kind of sometimes hard to change that. So some people might be strong enough to do it. I didn't feel like I was. I had to get out. I had to move to the other side of the country and give myself a real chance to reinvent myself. And anyone can do that. And so I came here and just immersed myself in, in books and workshops and, and really cultivated the circle, because it is the cliche about the five people you spend the most time with. But I cultivated the circle of people that I wanted to be around and was constantly putting myself in those environments and then being really selective. If I was around somebody like when we first moved here, I knew people and I would spend time with them the first year or two. And I don't see them anymore because they were kind of in that same mindset that I was in 10, 20 years ago. And I'm like, man, we're talking about the same thing. You're complaining. People are holding you back. You're you're gossiping about people. I, I don't want to do that. I got to get away from them. So, I, and that's huge. Like I'll do that with family members. I mean, people know, and, and I'm, I'm super blunt, you know, uh, Luca, I think has been on here, right? Yeah. Lu, Luca always talks about how I'm the most blunt person. He knows like if we're going somewhere and somebody's coming and I know they're like that, I'm like, I don't want that person to come. I'm, I'm not hanging out with them. And he's, he'll, he'll crack up about it, but yeah. I'm really selective about where I, you know, put myself in, in what environment. And, um, but talk so okay I I get it but I've also heard you speak about this thing which I think is cool cuz I think some people listen to that and they're like well that's that's not cool so he like he ditched his family and he moved away and like he's like cutting himself off from that but I I've, I've heard you it's it's a little more nuanced than that I hmm. think where you said when you first came out here you started to have like a a different perception of things and then you would go back to Jersey for the holidays and you felt like this need to kind of like yeah. prove it to your family or preach to them or something like that. Totally. And it didn't go over well. T tell us a little bit about that because 
I think that I, I can just like, I'm just want to play devil's advocate. I'm sur- sure someone's listening going like, well, that, that he didn't solve anything. He just ran away from it, but totally. You, yeah. You yeah. Didn't. You, so you, yeah. And people think, well, you're running away from your problems. Nothing's going to change. That's not necessarily true. True. If you move somewhere, you can, you, you know, you give yourself a better opportunity to change. But the first two years I went home, every single flight home, I would get physically ill to the point where I was almost throwing up in the bathroom. And then some of it was psychosomatic where I would always get the flu. Every time I went home because I was so stressed out, I was like, man, this is going to force me to go back to the person I was. And I feel like I've evolved so much past that. But I knew I wasn't strong enough to stay who I was. I know I was going to just get pulled back down kind of. And and like you said, I, I would kind of come in with this holier than thou attitude, like preaching, oh, you shouldn't do that. And don't talk negative and don't gossip. And everyone's like, dude, come on, like we don't want to hear this. So what I realized over time is and it seems obvious now is. You can't preach and teach people. You just need to lead by example. And so many people come to me now that maybe come to the events or whatever. And they're like, man, I I have all these people around me. What what do I say to them? Nothing. There's nothing you can say. You change. Like people now in my life know that they, I don't gossip and I don't tolerate it. And I don't tolerate a bunch of negative stuff. And so when you act like that, but in a cool way, like not in any kind of uh, aggressive or offensive way, I'm just like, I'll just change the subject. Let's talk about the Yankees or something, whatever. And it's funny now because the first couple of years, it was it was very different than it is now. Now when I go home, I'm super happy. Everything's great. And everybody acts the way I would want them to act when I'm around them just because I act a certain way. And they're like, oh, we're, we're not going to get negative. It's all positive and fun. That's what Jay's all about. Like, like my mom and I have our best relationship ever. The first two years, within an hour of being home, we'd be screaming and fighting and throwing bottles and everything. Now we have the best relationship ever in 44 years because I don't try to do any of that stuff. And she just sees the way I live and knows that that's not how, how we do things anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And that, well, that's a, that's a good, um, you know, analogy to, to put back toward the training, which is like, it's not going to happen overnight. Like everybody wants crazy results right away, but sometimes it has to get worse before it gets better because you're making a big change. Yeah. And then you kind of, you, you come around and, and evolve in some way. And it's funny that the, you know, I've been in the last, I don't know, maybe five months I've been getting up crazy. You know, it's like, I told you this like three 30 in the morning because it's like this quiet time. And, you know, like last night we went to the concert, we went to see Gad, uh, his, his standup show. And I was like, I can't get up that early. That's not going to make sense. I went yeah. to bed at almost midnight. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, you know, but for the most part, every day during the week, I've been getting up and we noticed about a month and a half ago. And I also, Oh, that's another influence of, of Craig Ballantyne. I'll put my, my, uh, workout clothes and everything. I'll put like everything out the night before. I'll have my computer with my screenplay. It's open to my screenplay. So I just have to lift up the laptop. Like everything is like set yeah. up. The coffee is ground. The water's That's in it. All I just have huge to, for creating all habits. of that stuff is, and I never did that. And I used to wake up and be like, what am I doing? You know, right. I had so much wasted time. And now it's like, I just step into my morning and, and it's so productive. I love What's that. cool is that Donovan out of nowhere, he saw me doing this. I never talked about it, mm. never talked about it. And all of a sudden, one day he was like, he he laid out his folder and he had a test that morning and he laid it out on the table where I put my computer. That's amazing. And he set his alarm earlier and he got up and he got dressed and he, had, and he got, and he started doing it and he's done it. He doesn't do it every day, yeah. but way more than he ever did. Dude, and I never talked so to him cool. about it. I yeah. never talked to him about it. Yeah. And I was, Deirdre and I were like, holy crap you know because that's good but then you think of all the other things you've done that were right they were not great like what what are they getting you know they really pick it up and it's like you you know you you can can, only lead by example yeah you can preach preach. doesn't really work yeah with with anything like with with kids with people i mean that's actually that's what my the screenplay is about it's about a guy who's a great motivational speaker from the stage yeah but he needs to take his own advice his life is falling apart right and he's got great advice but you know so that that's his journey so that it's i'm fascinated by that super cool to hear yeah yeah I'm fascinated by it. So, and, so the- and also just one thing is you have to realize that everybody evolves and learns at their own pace, you know? So like, I think everybody, well, speaking for myself, when I first got involved in this like journey of personal development, 
I'd be like, you know, maybe looking at certain people like, oh, they should step it up a little. You know what I mean? Yeah. But you can't do that. Everybody learn. And I'm, I'm honestly a slow learner. It takes me a long time to grasp things sometimes, too. So everybody, you know, learns at their own pace and, and you can't expect people like some people be in a relationship and they get on this personal development kick and they're like, oh, how do I get my wife or husband involved with this? I'm like, you can't. You can't say anything. You can't force it. It's just do your thing. Lead by example. And you know, they will or they won't, or they'll do it at their own pace. But when right. you try to force it, it's not going to work. And then there's also the other thing. Before we were rolling, we were saying like, you know, it's not like, you know, we'd like to think we're in a better spot than we were, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. But it's not like we're not, le- you know, we're not doing everything perfect. So I know yeah, you I'm never not, get I won't there. speak for you. Like but it's I'm, always a journey. Yeah. yeah, I'm battling with totally. stuff all the time, present yep. day. So it's not like you know, you're like looking down from the mountain. No, it's uh-uh. like, no, no, I'm still figuring my stuff out. Yeah. Um, so the other thing about you in particular, and um, we were just at this uh, retreat in San Diego last week and everybody remarked on it. Like I was at a table for lunch with a bunch of very impressive people. And all of them realized at one point you weren't there, you were gone already. And everybody realized at one point the way they were there was through you. So you are this super connector. Um, you, and and why I bring it up, you know, beyond just you being a super connector, I want people to hear you considered yourself by, you know, DNA to be an introvert. Yeah. Talk to us about, about that because you are far from an introvert. Now, at least how people would receive you now. You have a podcast. You're very present in Santa Monica. I feel like everybody knows you. Um, how did you, what What are some of the, the strategies or techniques and, and how you kind of got, your, got out of yourself? Mm. So that was one of the main things that I wanted to change was I was always, I wrote this narrative and we could all tell ourselves these stories, but they're just not true. It's just what we're making up in our head. So I would always say, oh, I'm introverted. I'm socially awkward. I'm shy. I can never do this. And I I remember the first time I was asked to speak at an event was 2007. And I told myself the story going in, I'm going to be awful. I was awful. I was the worst speaker in history. And I never did it again for years because I just said, well, I proved myself right. I suck at this. I can't do it. And then I was like, no, that's not true. So being out here and pushing myself out of my comfort zone more and trying to talk to people, that was always the thing. You know, I would just look at people who were like, man, that guy's the life of the party. That guy knows everybody. I want to be like that. Let me push it. And it's like the first time you walk in the gym, you don't say, because I can't squat 225 or 315 now doesn't mean I'll never be able to do it. I just got to work up. I start with the bar and then add a 45 and go to 185. So same thing. Like anybody can get better at this stuff. You just push yourself. So I would just do stuff like, Okay, what makes me uncomfortable saying hi to strangers? You know, a lot of people that might be a thing. So and I would set PRs like personal records, like you track them in the gym, you track your squat or chin up. So I would say at the end of the day, okay, how many compliments did I give and write it in my journal? How many times did I uh, start a conversation with somebody just in line at Starbucks or at the grocery store or whatever? Uh, things like that and just push myself every day. And then when there's opportunities to kind of go into that hole and be looking at my phone or look down did I say hi to somebody? And then now it's like, that's me and my thing. It's super easy now, but it was, it was just work. That's all it was, was just repetition and just work and doing that. And over time, I, I, the way I became like this super connector was I, after years of doing that, I got better just knowing a lot of people and people who would live in Santa Monica for years. Like, how do you know everybody? And it was just, again, just repetition. So, and then I got really good at just introducing people because I read Never Eat Alone by Keith Ferrazzi, which is a great book. I've never read it. I got to read it. So good. Yeah. And I was like, man, okay, I know a lot of people now. Now I got to start introducing people. And years ago, I would have been, been, I would have had this scarcity mindset that a lot of people have. But now I've evolved past that where I always try to help people and connect people. And everybody I know is better at something or a lot of things than I am. Like, Luca knows now it's funny because Luca started as a fan of mine and he's a, he's eclipsed me now. Like he knows more about training than I do. And Craig knows more about helping people with their schedule than I do. And B's a better business coach than I am, but I don't care. I'll refer people to them all day and I'll constantly try to help other people. Even if we're competing, like, Hey, go see that guy. He's better than me at this, you know? And I think that is, is something that people have to do all the time. Like even if you were competing for a role with somebody, 
and you thought they were better, like, yeah, go. you should have this guy come in instead of me. I think when so many people are competing all the time and scarcity-minded and like, oh, I don't want you to know about Matt. He's a better actor than I am. They're shooting themselves in the foot, too. Like, there's just a law of the universe. It's going to come back to you. And so every time I meet someone now, I'm thinking of, okay, who do they know that I know? Who do they not know that I know that might be able to help them? And I'm genuinely trying to help them. Like, I'm excited about them introduce, introducing them to somebody. And, man, that's... Like that, that's changed my life more, more than almost anything else is just connecting people and getting to know everybody. And yeah. 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 And then, and then there, there's like a, a kind of additional thing there, which we were talking about before uh, we were rolling that I think would probably be appropriate to talk about. Um, I have a similar skill set in a way, but, I'll, but one thing that you've done um that is is really smart because it makes it all sustainable. You've also kind of systemized it to, you know, it's almost part of your your business as well. Yeah. But it's not like it's in a very uh, honest, genuine way. Like, you, you know, you are the connector. Your podcast is the source of a lot of people come together on it. And then uh, I feel like a bunch of products have come to you that they, they want to um, – they want to advertise through you because so many people trust you. Yeah. Uh, so, so it's something like that, that I haven't figured out certainly is, is how do you then you take that, that talent, that skill that you've worked on, and then you also can, can monetize it in a certain way. Yeah. Um, well, well, so, so let me just say one thing, whenever I am out somewhere at a party or an event or something, uh, one of the things I talk about when I want to give this talk is you always have to take the reins. So if I saw you somewhere and you and I didn't know each other, I'd be like, okay, I want to meet Matt. So I'd either come up to you or I'd find somebody at the thing who knows you. Can you introduce me to Matt? Then what I mean by take the reins is I will never give a business card. I will never let you get my number. I'll get that person's number. I'll always put it in my phone, get, get, get their number, get the email, whatever it might be. So now it's it's the ball's in my court. So I'm not waiting for Matt or anybody else to contact me because you know how it is. Oh, yeah, we should hang out sometime. Great. We never see each other again. So I'm always going to do that. So I'll have their contact within 48 hours. The rule is I'm going to send them either a text, a video message, an email, whatever it might be. And I'm going to say, hey, let's meet for coffee at Espresso Cielo or whatever it is. On th- How's Thursday at 11? That work for you? If not Friday, like we set the date, we'd be super strict about it. And you want to do it soon because you everybody knows what it's like. You meet somebody and then life happens and then you never connect again. So we want to lock that down soon. So that's like a rule of business for me. That's a rule of connecting. Within 48 hours, let's lock something in. Uh, preferably, most of the time, I'll, I'll, I'll set it that day. I'll be like, hey, man, uh, what's the rest of your week look like? We should grab coffee and work out or something, you know? And then whenever I have someone over for a podcast, I make sure that the next four hours are blocked off. There's nothing. So if that guest wants to hang out, they want to go to lunch after, they want to go train, I'm spending four hours developing a relationship with them. And I'm also, within 48 hours, introducing them to at least two people. So that's huge right there. Two people that could help further their career or enhance their, even if maybe they're just a fan of a band. Hey, meet my friend Allie. She knows that band. Maybe she can get you backstage, whatever, something. So that rule. Um, if they have a charity, I'm going to donate to that charity. And what else am I, am I forgetting? Uh, there's, there's one other step that I'm drawing a blank on, but all those things like that's systemized. Like that's, that's a main way. See, that's what's amazing to me. See, I have, um, I don't know where it came in my life where, um, I have it in my head that like, oh, well, you can't, you know, it can't be systemized. That's going to feel disingenuous in some way. Or somebody's listening and they're going, well, wait, so he wrote down in his journal that he had to say hi to three people or whatever. But but here's the counterpoint to that. You know, Michael Jordan, the way he approached basketball, it's right. like he talked, you know, we had Tim Grover spoke last week, yeah. his his trainer. And he talked about he started every practice with a chess pass because yep. he said that was the fundamental, the most basic fundamental of basketball. Michael Jordan, mm-hmm. even when he was the height of his career, always started every practice with a chess pass. Yeah. And, you know, I think maybe if you're listening right now, you know, you heard Jay say that and you're like, well, that seems like that seems psychotic. You're going to go out and you're going to push You're going to write down in the, and, 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 you know, it doesn't seem natural, but what happens, well, how do you I think, get better through, at anything? right. I think through yeah. repetition is now that is natural. I don't think you're of going course. out and thinking about it and writing it down. That's just who you are. 
Kobe Bryant's the best player since Jordan retired, best player of the last 20 years. He reviewed every single game. Peyton Manning reviewed every single game. Beyonce reviews every single performance. She goes and watches it after. That's how you get better. So at the end of the night, whatever you want to get better at, you have to review. You know, how else are you going to be like, it's just going to happen. That's what's interesting. A lot of people that you probably went to high school or college with in their 40s or 50s, whatever, like, well, eventually they have this thought that just from being on Earth and living a certain amount of time, I'll get better at things. No, you won't. You need to practice whatever it is you want to get better at. You have to deliberately practice every day. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm asking myself where I think I always, you know kind of describe myself as a hard worker, but I also think actually this leads us to another thing, which is one big thing you're, you are all about limiting how many things you're doing. Yeah. There's only so much time in the day to practice a bunch of things, you know, you're like, so limiting and and being, you know, you talked about being decisive in taking the reins, saying, this is where we're going to go. We're going to go to this specific place. I know that's something that you are adamant about, like, don't be wishy-washy. Yeah. So what about in choosing what it is that you're going to put your energy and your time into? How do you coach people with that? Yeah. And that's more challenging nowadays than it ever has been because we have so many options and we have social media and probably for people listening to this because you're artistic. I'm sure a lot of people listening are artistic. And when you're artistic and you're passionate about a bunch of stuff, it's it's even harder because you're like, man, I want to do this. I want to do that. And I totally get it. And some people we know that make a ton of money are not as passionate about as all the things that we are like different art and like I get super into music and stuff and you're the same way. So sometimes it becomes really hard to dial that in. So that's why I always tell people, read the book, The One Thing, read the book, Essentialism, read the 80-20 principle and reread those three books all the time. And then you really just need to decide like you can't do all these things. We look at outliers, but even they did one thing at a time. So you look and say, oh, well, Arnold was super successful in all these different realms. Yes, but he was only bodybuilding. For all those years. And then he was only acting for all those years. And then he went into politics, you know. And same thing with The Rock. He dedicated his life to becoming the best pro wrestler on the planet. Then he got into acting. And now he hosts all these shows. Like, nobody has tried to do... And before that, football. Exactly, yeah. 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 Nobody has tried to do these three or four things all at once. It's really hard to do. So you need to decide one thing. Like, the other day I was listening to LL Cool J interview Eminem. And I was like, that's an example of mastery. Eminem has done one thing. He's written rhymes for 30 plus years, you know, and that's why he'll go down as arguably the greatest or one of the top five greatest lyricists of all time. Sure, he's done movies and other things since then, but all he does, the same way Jerry Seinfeld does, is get up and write every single day. To this day, Jerry Seinfeld gets up and writes every single day. So when you become really good at one thing, then, of course, other doors open and, you know, some people are on Instagram trying to share all this other stuff. And they're, and I'm like, look at Eddie Vedder and Bruce. People always want to know what their thoughts are on politics. But it wasn't until they became amazing singers, songwriters, and musicians and entertained the hell out of people for 20 years. And then they started talking about it, that people care. So be known for doing one thing really well. And then other doors open. And then people are interested in what you have to say and think about other things. But... And how do you get to that one thing? That's hard. But it's like, man, if you could only do, if you had a gun to your head and you're like, I could only do one thing to make money, what would it be? And and just narrow it down and repeat that exercise. And sometimes asking why five, six, seven times is important. Like, hey, Matt, why do you want to do that? Well, because it gives me, uh, I feel great or whatever. Okay. And why do you feel great? Well, because it contributes to the environment. And why is it important for you to contribute to the environment? Well, because I live near the ocean and I see the plastic. And you just see what I'm saying? Like, yeah. you have to dig deeper with five, six, seven whys to really dial it in. Yeah. Which is one of the first books, maybe the first book you ever gave me was Start oh, With Why. Yeah. Which I don't know if Great I book. still, I think I gave it back to you. I, I love that book, Simon Sinek. Um, yeah. And, and uh, yeah, that's something, even as you're talking, I'm thinking for myself, that's, that's maybe my biggest as my mom would say, cross to bear. Yeah. I have so many interests. Right. And, you and me both. it really is tough to hone in and dig on just one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're saying that and I'm just going, I'm filtering it through my mind going, hmm, hmm. Thinking about my Instagram feed, you know, how yeah. much is it, you know, is it scattered? Is it, is it, you know. So well, well, let me give you a, a live on the air example of that because as you've mentioned, I started out in fitness and then I did all these different things the last few years. 
but I've been going through that practice myself again. And I've had instances where I've been backstage at concerts and backstage at pro wrestling events and, and friends of mine who are on TV and, and, you know, super well-known people were describing you to people. And it was like this jumbled thing. Like, I don't even know what Jay really does. I'm like, dude, we're almost best. Like we're like best friends. How do you not know that? But I've created that. Right. So when I went through the gun to my head, if I could only do one thing after all these years, it would still be just training and fitness. Because as much success as I've had in talking about Super Connector and, and business coaching and relationships and stuff like that, that's still my one thing. And I'm kind of transitioning back to doing that first and foremost more than anything. That's interesting. Because it simplifies everything, right? That's interesting because last night, we, you know, we, so we were... I, I didn't know if you caught that, how I, I introduced myself. Yes, yeah, yeah, you did. And, yeah. and so so uh, we had taken Jay to see uh, Gad Elmale, who's my... my uh, co-star in the Netflix comedy and he was doing his stand-up. He's doing a world tour and he's in LA. So, um, you know, I'm not sure when this will air, but it, that was November 13th of 2018. And I had another friend, Rory Cordial, who's also been on the podcast. They introduced themselves and they're kind of in the same world. And, uh, and, and Jay said, yeah, I'm a train. You, you, I think you said I'm a trainer. Or, he, or you- he said uh, something about a trainer and he said, what are you doing? I said, yeah, same thing. And yeah. I thought, huh, that's yeah, so okay, weird. So I, 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 I really thought that, that was, yeah. oh yeah, totally. I was like, yeah. I, I don't know if I think of Jay that way. I right. think of it as an entrepreneur who's does a lot of different things. I would never, I'm surprised. I actually thought yeah. I'm surprised he's, he's limiting him, his definition of himself. But do you see how that waters it down? Like if you, if you give me that introduction to Gad or to anybody, it's like, okay, I don't really know what Jay does. Uh, I'm going to move on. But if I say I'm the world's greatest strength coach, or if you say that, and I'll say that about myself, because I, I believe you should be your own Don King. You should be like, like Ali said, I said, I'm the greatest long before I, I, I knew I was the greatest. Everybody has to have the confidence to do that. Then it's like, okay, I know. So if you're training for the next superhero role, come see me. If you're training to be WWF, come see me. Yes, I'm good with other stuff. But at the end of the day, if you put a gun in my head, that's what I want to do for the rest of my life more than anything, you know? Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And you really got, uh, you know, I had put, I'd never put a, a shirtless selfie out anywhere. And I did when I was doing Huge in France and I did it and, and it got, so much yeah. attention and so many people have been like, your buddy Jay Ferrugia, what can I, and I'm like, go listen to his podcast. Yeah. You, you know, so it, it isn't, you did get results. You're not lying. Yeah. I mean, you really got results. And I did not believe fully that in three weeks that I could do that. And that was you. Yeah. That was all you. Um, so if you are listening and and you are training for a superhero role, <laughs> yeah. Know. Um, so, so the, the last thing, like we'll, we'll start to wind it down. Cause I know you're very busy and I appreciate you being here with me. Um, is this, this kind of w- what I think you and, um, the whole network of people that I've met through you, you know, that we've been talking about, and by the way, when Jay says B that's Bedros Koulian, who I've in- interviewed as well, uh, on 10,000 notes. So he's really introduced me to a whole world of people. Um, and, and what I think, what, what's interesting about all of you guys is you're, you know, all of you are physically fit, pretty imposing physical dudes. Um, a lot of you are tatted up, you know, there's like a certain, like, there's like a look, there's a, yeah. that, that people walking by you on the street would have maybe the similar impression that I had before I knew you. And yet all of you are really, um, you know, sensitive in a way to, you, you know, you, you kind of have the, the, the masculinity and also there's like a real sensitivity and there's a real thoughtfulness and it's a reflectiveness that, that is surprising, I think, to people from, from mm. just the look. And so talk to me a little bit about your your um philosophy on that because i i think there are there's something that's you know gone around and maybe it's not there as much as it was a couple of years ago but where it, it it's it's like this you know to be sensitive like you can't be someone who's also hard on the outside you have to be one or the other mm. you you seem like there's like a melding of the two what are what are your thoughts on that like on, on like the the development and how it's it's both spiritual 
psychological and physical. Yeah. Well, I, I think uh, years ago, masculinity had this misconception that, uh, you know, being vulnerable was a weakness and showing emotion was a weakness. But I mean, you know, from, from Hollywood that if there's an invincible character, nobody cares about him. Like Superman's got to have kryptonite. People have to have weaknesses and, and then people can't relate to you. So uh, that that's super important. And honestly, when I was insecure, when I was younger, I would hide that. I was always emotional. Like, I, you know, I'll cry at every movie and stuff like that. But I hid that. I didn't want anyone to know that because I thought it made me look weak. So I built up this suit of armor and gained 80 pounds and put on the tattoos and everything. But now you and anyone who knows me wouldn't say that I'm like this mean, angry, tough guy or anything. I'm joking around more than I'm serious most of the time, you know? Uh, or every time I see a, a, a picture of a dog that needs to be rescued, I'm crying my eyes out, you know? Like, So I, I, I think if you're putting up that facade, like it's probably holding you back more than anything because it, it feels good to just be vulnerable. And, and uh, you know, you and I were talking before and and now I, I tell people when I have weakness or when I need help, whereas so many years I did that John Wayne thing, which is still that old concept of masculinity, like we hold it in, we do this John Wayne thing, this lone wolf thing, and don't ask for help. And I'm like, no, anytime I'm struggling, I'll let people know. Anytime I need help, I'll let people know. And uh, it's actually known as the Ben Franklin effect. When you ask someone for a favor, they actually look more favorably upon you. And they want to help. We all think like, oh, I don't want to be that burden to someone and and ask them for help. But that's not true. People want to help. They want you to ask. It makes them feel better. Uh, I feel like I'm going off on a tangent on the original. No, question, no, no. That 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 makes sense. I, I mean, um, you know, I had expressed to you that I have a hard time um, asking for help as well. Yeah. You know, it's, I, I I do ask for help, but I think sometimes I want that's like the last resort. You know, yeah. and I've heard you talk about that John Wayne thing and how you used to go it alone. And truthfully, it's been. For me, it's been sitting down with guests on this podcast that has really made a huge change for me in my life in terms of like, this is something you you were on me for a couple of years about delegating, not trying to do everything yourself. And I really had a hard time doing that because I was like, well, nobody's going to be able to do it the way I do it. And then I've realized in really every single time I've delegated something, that person does it way better than yeah. I did. I <laughs> yeah. mean, it's like not even close. Yeah. It's like, I'm like, what are you, what were you thinking, Matt? Yeah. You know? Um, and, and that again is, totally. I guess is, is realizing that we are, uh, we're human and we need help and we're, we're all maybe, you know, broken in some way or not sure. strong enough, not capable enough. And it's like in admitting that you end up being, you, you, empower the people around you and you empower yourself. Yeah. You know, it's. And it's funny because as an introvert and writing that narrative in my head, I used to think that I needed a lot of alone time and uh, I'm not in Hollywood. So I I don't know if I'm speaking out of school here, but like everyone that I know, not everyone that I know, but a lot of people that I know in Hollywood say, yeah, typically actors are kind of introverted and uh, have some social anxiety. Like that's, that's a generalization, right? Yeah. A lot of performers in, in, in general, like, like, you know. Yeah. Um, and I I was like that too. And I think that's a narrative that you write in your head. And so now I try to avoid having a ton of alone time because I can still revert back to my natural DNA of being too hard on myself. And like, oh, that podcast wasn't good. Oh, I said, um, too much. Oh, I did this. Like, I'll still pick apart my stuff a lot if I have too much alone time. So some alone time to reboot is good. But I think too many people have too much alone time where they just sit there and freak out about yeah. all the things they're not doing or they should be doing or overanalyzing their performance. I remember uh, Roger Love told this story from stage one time. He's like the world's uh, greatest vocal coach. And he walked into the premiere of Walk the Line with Joaquin Phoenix. And they walked up to the front. And he had trained him to sing for, for the role of Johnny Cash for the you know, previous six months or whatever. And, uh, and this is a story he, he shares from stage. So it's, it's, you know, I'm not telling anything. Uh, 
And they walk the red carpet. They walk up to the front of the theater and Joaquin walks out and, and, and Roger goes, where are you going? He goes, oh, no, I can't uh, watch my performance. I'll evaluate it too much and then I won't work anymore. I'll, I'll drive myself insane with that. So he walks out and I was like, that's so interesting. Even people at the highest level are still super critical and evaluating themselves so much, you know. So it's good to know that and, and kind of put those boundaries in place and do what you have to do to stay focused on your one thing and keep moving forward. Yeah, yeah. And but yet, yeah, what are your thoughts on like, quieting your mind and really getting, cause I, I sometimes think like the, that not enough people this day and age even know what they think because they're so busy right. getting bombarded by all these other outside forces that they don't even know what it is they believe in. You're a hundred percent right. A lot of people don't. And that's why I'm a huge believer in meditation, deep breathing. I think whatever you can get out into nature without your cell phone, like if it's even just going for a hike or something, because something physiological does happen. I'm not going to get into all the science and all that, but chemical changes do take place in your brain when you're unplugged and you're out in nature and breathing in the the fresh air and everything like that. So stuff like that is just super important to do. You you do need some of that. I'm just saying about too much alone time. We're just sitting there staring at the computer and your phone and going, what do I do? You know what I mean? That That's not good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, okay. I, uh, I mean, we, we could, you know, and, and we will talk forever, just not on, on this podcast. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to wrap it up and I want to give you, um, this pop quiz that I've been doing, uh, in recent episodes. Oh no. Um, complete this sentence. The word no actually means what? Freedom. Can you explain that? Yeah. So every every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to something more important. So you have to say no more. Uh, you know, like when 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 you're when you're trying to do a million things and saying yes to everything, yes, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'll do that for you and I'll do that for you and I'll be on your podcast and all stuff. Then you never you do have to you know it's a cliche, but when the plane's going down, they tell you to put your mask on first. So you do have to take care of yourself first, and that means saying no to a lot of stuff. And it goes back to the one thing. Like if I decide. My only one thing is to do my podcast. Every other thing is getting in the way of that every other thing that I say yes to. So saying no is like, you know, like Craig talks about or Jocko Willink and structure uh, or discipline equals freedom. Structure equals freedom. Like you have to say no to a lot of things and create that structure in your life. That's great. That's really great. Um, okay. Right now, just, just, you know, empty your mind for a second. And I want you to think of... The first thing that comes to mind, it could be a book title, a, a film title, a, a song title, lyric, or a quote. What is it? First thing. Oh. <laughs> uh, uh, I don't know. I, I, <laughs> you lost me on the question there. I thought there was like a follow-up to it. Nope. The well, first thing that comes to mind? First, uh, for, you know, it could no, be it's... Movie, movie, book, anything. Quote. Well, my favorite quote of all time is uh, Maya Angelou. So that's like, if, yeah, if you just ask me for a quote, yeah. maybe people forget what you said, people forget what you did, but people for, never forget the way you made them feel. Cool. And yeah. why, why is that so important to you? What's, what is it just, is that something that you feel like you used to be more accompli- accomplishment oriented totally. or goal oriented and now you're more about the About, about people. Yeah. 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 Pe- yeah. People and building relationships and experiences and I used to measure success in dollar signs or, you know, fitness goals or whatever. But but now it's quality relationships and, and spending time with people. For yeah. sure. Which yeah. you have done, you know, like I said, really, every time you introduce me to someone, I'm like, God, this person is more impressive than the last person. It's in, it really is. It's an incredible network of friends you have. Thank and you, you uh, and you really do. And you work hard. You are disciplined, but you really enjoy yourself. You're going to concerts. You're going around. You really do. You're, That's it's, it's, the thing that I, I'm always happiest when people say that, that, yeah, for sure. Because a lot of people we know make a lot of money and they, uh, you know, they're successful by certain uh, definitions, but they don't do anything. They're not really enjoying life that much. You know, they're having anxiety attacks. They're in the hospital. They're stressed out. I still have a pretty fun, cool life. I know a lot of cool people. And, and to me, that means more like I actually – willingly chose to make less money than I did probably four or five years ago. Of course, I'm, I want to work my way back there, but I had to make some sacrifices because I was sacrificing my health and my happiness for financial gain. And then when I chose to put people first and, and lifestyle and everything, it did make a huge difference. Yeah. And ironically, I feel like you'll eventually be making more yeah. money that way anyway, if you're not already, right. you know? Um, and then, and then the last thing is, um, 
if you could give your younger self advice, first of all, what age would you intervene and what would the advice be? I guess uh, probably 18 or when, when I was entering college, you know, because I, I don't think I'd be as receptive to it. I would just be a knucklehead in, in high school. Uh, probably I, w- I would say people aren't judging you as much as you think. That would be the main thing. Because I, 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 I believe that's what holds most of us back from doing anything, right? From putting up an Instagram post, from doing this, from asking somebody for a favor. It's what are people going to think of me? people's number one fear is public speaking. Why? Because of what everyone else is going to think of you. And how much does it really hurt? It doesn't hurt at all. You might be embarrassed for a second. Your ego might take a hit. But throughout all those years, all the opportunities I wasted, all the things that I could have done just because I was scared that people would laugh at me or make fun of me. And that's not true. Everybody wants you to succeed. The world, most people are generally good natured. and They want the best for you. We have this misconception, especially nowadays, because we read the YouTube YouTube comments, which represents 0.001% of the population, probably were like, oh, that guy sucks, this and that and the other thing. Most people, if we're at Madison Square Garden and someone randomly hops up on stage, 20,000 people in the audience want that person to be good because it shows us what's possible. Wow, that guy got up on stage and just dominated like that unprepared. I got to step up or I could do that. I could be better. Most people want you to succeed. So I, I wish I knew that years ago. What a great. Great answer. Totally um, resonates with me. And it's a, it's a great way to end it. Jay Ferugia. I'm going to put links in the show notes to all of his, uh, you know, to, to anything that we've mentioned here. I uh, can't thank you enough for sitting down with me. Thank you, I know you're busy. Uh, and I really, really appreciate it. Thanks, man. Okay. I hope you got as much from Jay as I always do. I'm going to keep this brief, but here are my top takeaways. One, Never judge a book by its cover the way I did with Jay prior to actually speaking with him. How many people are out there right now in your life that can help you more than you know that you're overlooking? Two, teach by example. My wife and I always say Jay is like Alec Baldwin's nanny on 30 Rock. He just looks at you and you spill your guts while he stays quiet. And and he doesn't over talk, but when he does speak, you listen because he's actually done all the things he's telling you about. Three, ask for help. Yes, Jay looks like a man's man, like he can crush you like a grape, but he realized that strength includes vulnerability, and because of it, he's actually much more powerful now. That's it, my friends. If you found this inspiring, please spread the word. Best way to do that is to take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and share it to social media, tagging at Maddie Dell on Instagram or any of my other handles on Twitter and Facebook or just texting it to your friends or, God forbid, actually telling them in a real human conversation. Can we do that anymore? If you're feeling particularly inspired and you want to send us a video testimonial that we can post, uh, you can do that to info at 10,000knows.com, or you could just post it on your own feed and and tag me. That would be amazing. Uh, We love feedback. If you've yet to rate us on iTunes, please give us a five-star rating and tell people why you dig 10,000 knows. It's very much appreciated. And if you like Jay today, you should go listen to these past episodes of 10,000 knows, all of which were friends of Jay before they were friends of mine. Bedros Koulian, Craig Ballantyne, Luca Hosevar. If you go to the site, 10,000knows.com, you can, there's a little, uh, uh, magnifying glass, type in those names, they'll pop right up so you don't have to scroll through all of the episodes, or you can go to iTunes and scroll through and find them. Next up, on February 1st, we get back to our weekly Friday schedule with writer, actor, story expert Jessica Blank has so much to say. She co-wrote the incredibly successful and critically acclaimed The Exonerated for the stage and later had it turned into a movie with the help of Tim Robbins and Susan Sarandon, among other things. She does a ton of things, a great with story and be on the lookout for our merchandise the 10,000 nose store slowly coming together but we'll be selling special 10,000 nose journals so you can start writing your own story more clearly as well as really cool t-shirts which you may have seen me post on instagram eventually followed by some awesome baseball caps later in the year it's a work in progress here just like you so bear with us on speed but we will eventually have you styled and ready to go in 10,000 nose apparel all right have a great day and we'll see you again friday february 1st with jessica blank 